You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything, Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. In India, I met farmers whose crops have been literally washed away by historic flooding. In America, I have witnessed unprecedented droughts in California. In Greenland and in the Arctic, I was astonished to see that ancient glaciers are rapidly disappearing well ahead of scientific predictions. All that I have seen and learned on my journey has absolutely terrified me. So the question now is whether we will have the courage to act before it's too late. And how we answer will have a profound impact on the world that we leave behind, not just to you, but to your children and to your grandchildren. As a president, as a father, and as an American, I'm here to say we need to act. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is our new format. Hello in Florida, Angie. Hello, Chris in New Zealand. Yes, we are We are the other side of the planet, but this is uh, the new segment of the podcast that Angie and I have been talking about a while doing, and it's just kind of a roundup, you know, two scientists talking about, you know, the week in conservation, news from around the world. We are going to see how it goes, you know, as we do this. I'm sure it's going to mature over the next few weeks as we kind of find our groove with it. Uh, we are going to tell you that we will definitely keep releasing episodes on new animals each week. We are trying to line up as many interviews as we can and release those on our Thursdays. And then we just thought, you know, there's always so much stuff that Angie and I pass back and forth. But, you know, my wife passes stuff to me on Facebook. I know John passes stuff to Angie. You know, there's so many stories each week. It's just been so overwhelming to try to cover it all. So we thought, you know, let's just do a, a, 
a, a weekly wrap up and just kind of say, okay, this is the week in conservation. This is what we've seen in the news and just go from there and see how it goes. So put your seatbelts on folks. It's might be a bumpy ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, I think, you know, we, it's just, it's easy. Cause you know, just think back to our first episode, Angie, we sat, you know, my office way long ago in, in, Florida, I was sweating buckets, shaking, all nervous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a little rough in the beginning, but I think this, you know, we we found our groove with the animals, and I think we're going to find our. Well, groove we, with think, this, we think we think we found our groove, but I, um, hopefully yeah, our audience yeah, we'll does see. too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're getting better. We're getting better, right? Yes. No. So this, you know, it's just there's so much news each week, which is great. It's really great to see. But it's just there's nowhere out there where you can really talk about it or highlight it. So I thought this would be great for us to do. Well, I, I know I sure I've sure had fun finding what I wanted to talk about, all the new clips and reading, ingesting even more material than I thought was possible from just the normal podcast in itself. So it's it's really know, helping me be well rounded, right? Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. And then you just want to stay tuned because I think at the end, what we're going to do each week is just highlight a new species that's been discovered. And there's been a bunch in one week. Yes. A handful yes. Of species. I yeah. will give a little bit of a hint that I picked a species with a name that's near and dear to my heart. So <laughs> yeah. we'll see. We'll see who that is. It, uh, Spoiler, it's, 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 the- it's not my husband. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was going to say, is it John? Was it the John or, Rhino they no, found? No, or it's not the Alexander Salamander or the Zachary Peckery either. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. yeah, that's good. There you go. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> okay, I, okay. I'm, I'm drinking okay. my coffee tonight, so I might be on fire. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah no, yeah, it's yeah. none of those. So it's, uh, um, okay. you know, my like my fourth or fifth love in my life. So anyways, okay. but back to the news, Chris. Tell me what you found. Yeah, yeah. I'll be excited to hear which one that is. So I just wanted to open up, you know, first, I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen the new National Geographic cover this this week? I have not. Okay, it's making the rounds of social media and I'm actually looking at it right now and I'll and I'll and I'll link to it and post it. But it is powerful and a lot of people are are really talking about it. And the title is Planet or Plastic and it's a plastic bag floating. Have you seen it? No, but I've seen yeah. some other, clearly I've, there's lots of plastic stuff going around. Yeah. My husband tagged me in another post recently, but I don't think I've seen this one. So it's okay. a, a so bag. Okay, so what it is, it looks like a glacier on top, but underneath the surface, like, you know, that famous picture of the glacier, like from underneath and above. Yeah, so it looks beautiful. looks like that, but underneath it's a plastic bag and it's just oh. the corner sticking out. So again, this week in news, which is good. This is good because this is a lot of what you and I have been talking about. You know, we just, you've really hammered home the plastic message in the Blue Whales episode. So if you haven't heard that episode, please go listen to it. Yeah, I get, I get on a little bit of my, uh, my, uh, soapbox, but yeah, I think think in a good way. (laughs) Yeah, no, but it, it really, you know, it, uh, amazing cover. I think there's, we're, we're making ground on the fight and the discussion that, that's happening, right? Right, Chris. I mean, that's definitely, I did not see this. So, uh, you'll please put that in the show notes or you'll have to send it my way. But yeah. I, I do feel and just looking around, there's definitely more conversations about plastic, about potentially banning single use plastic mm-hmm. items if possible. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, hopefully people will vote with their dollar and, uh, try to find, 
new solutions of, of not using as much plastic. I know we are yeah. in our family and we won't get into all that today, but it, there does seem to be a conversation. So yeah, keep it up. I, I th- yeah, I think it's good. I think yeah. let's, let's put the pressure on and, and hopefully too, uh, Chris and I can keep sharing with you guys fun products that we either find or try that maybe seem to help. Like the straw, right, right. I, I, I forget what it's called, but the, um, the straw in a keychain that pops mm-hmm, open mm-hmm. and it's like a metal straw. So you bring your keys wherever, whenever you go out to eat, right? Cause you, mm-hmm. well, maybe not yeah. all the time, but you usually drive yeah. there. And so little solutions, genius. Uh, there's probably a lot of cool inventions that kids could invent. Right. Uh, for Shark Tank or for whatever to, yeah, to yeah, try, yeah. you know, try to try to actually be a solution to this problem. And I think we're going to see more and more of that. So it is, it is. And it's the younger generation. I know we really hit it in the uh, snapping yeah. turtle and other episodes that we've done that educating our children and they're educating us. You know, I know Xander was Absolutely. wagging his finger at you, you know, with those disposable. Oh yeah. I got, <laughs> I got totally busted yeah. for trying to put yeah. uh, something in the trash that potentially could be recycled. Right. It was, yeah, it's called, uh, I think it's called TerraCycle. TerraCycle. So you have to mail, yeah. yeah, you have to mail it. And so I, yeah, I was like, nah, I don't got time for this. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I, but I got busted. And, and, and yes, I, now I have a box of TerraCycle in my garage. And so oh, I'll just awesome. send it away. Yeah, yeah, I'll just send it away when I have a lot of it to make it, you yeah. know, worth my while. Yeah. So, yeah. So, no, that's great. And it's just, you know, again, the good news story, you know, it, it's, it's, it, yeah, this, this graphic is really powerful, but the discussion's there and we're having the discussion in the public. So that is really good. And that's really good for the animals of the planet. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So that's what I just wanted to open up with, you know, just people are doing great. Keep doing what you're doing. You know, people out there just try to reduce your use of plastics. It, it's really helping. So what'd you find this yeah. week? That, that was just what I wanted to open with. Well, you came in with a very philanthropic, grandiose, <laughs> yeah. moving, kind of depressing um, but story. But we're going the right direction, you know? We're, we're but we are going progress. the right direction. Yes. Now, yeah. maybe not depression, but yeah. I I came with a completely different angle and I yeah. uh, wanted to actually tell you, Chris, that I kid you not, two nights after we got done recording the uh, alligator snapping turtle mm-hmm. uh, episode where we d- discussed not at length, but probably dork out a little bit about turtles and or certain reptiles such as alligators and crocodiles, the sex of their offspring can be determined by the temperature that the eggs incubate it. So it's, yeah. So we talked, we we dorked out about that for a long time and, and you and I went back and forth. And then I, I know, I I believe in the episode, I was like, I just want to know what gene controls. Oh yeah. Yeah. You said it. Yeah. Yeah. I can dork out a little bit about molecular mechanisms here and then. And I kid you not, Two days later, um, I was sitting and scrolling and I saw, lo and behold, researchers out of Duke University and a university in China, they are on their way to crack the 50-year-old puzzle of how turtles become male, baby turtles become male or female. No way. Yeah, they (laughs) found the gene. They found, or at least a very important gene. Right, Uh, right. Two days yeah. after we record. <laughs> yeah, but it, so, but but it was it was funny. So yeah, I just uh, thought that I could share that with you, and it's it's just always interesting. You and I know about this from doing uh, scientific research, especially when you're dealing with physiology. Probably all mm-hmm. research is like this, but especially with physiology and molecular mechanisms, it's always like it's like a 
I don't want to say linear. I almost more right, of like right. a, a, a spider web type puzzle where you find point A and that leads you to point B to point C to point D. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. these re- researchers basically, they found the gene and it's called KDM6B. Okay. And that's a gene that's helping in the embryo um, basically turn the switch on of whether it's a male or a female. Right, or bio- right. It's like a biological switch necessarily in the DNA or the ATCs and Gs itself as mm-hmm. the the main as the main on switch, but it's actually a a molecule uh that affects how the genes are expressed. Okay. Okay. So those are that so so yeah, so the genes aren't changing. So it's not like a a girl turtle and a boy turtle. It's a totally different gene or anything. It's that it's whether the gene is being turned on or turned off by these epigenetic mechanisms. And so yeah. Yeah, it's not a full answer, but at least it's there on the right direction. So you found a little bit more than I did for those few hours. I <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is this was a passion question of yeah, mine this I know, past week. I so. know, I know. All right, so here's a teaching moment. And and this is something I always talked about in class in trying to explain epigenetics, you know, to, to college freshmen even and not just grad students. Epigenetics is like the new, new, new field, new frontier, or it has been the last few years in genetic medicine. The way I always described epigenetics, and I can't believe I didn't even think about that with the turtles because it makes sense. It's environment. It does, right? It, yeah, yeah, should, yeah. 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 Of course. Uh, environmental influences on genes and gene expression. So really quickly in two minutes or less, cause it's 60 seconds or less, it probably won't work. All right. They found epigenetics. They go back to during World War II. In Holland, during the Nazi occupation, towards the end of World War II, after the I'm going to take a quick I'm going to take a no quick no no it's good it's talk. Good, no it's a great story this no is I've heard Chris I've heard this like a thousand <laughs> times so I'm just I'm going to go get a cup of coffee and okay. you talk about the Dutch famine and I'll all be right. back all right listeners and so during the Dutch famine so there anyways really quick so the Dutch famine. The Dutch people were starving because the the Germans had no food, so they didn't bring any food in, into there and kind of to punish them, too, for supporting the Allies, long story short. And this is World War II, right? Yes. Yeah, so the 1940s, okay. 1944. So the women that were pregnant in 1944 were – they were on a diet of like 500 calories a day. So they were starving and their fetuses were starving. You know, after World War II, they went back to normal diets. They went up to like 2,500 calories a day because the Allies came in and fed them and all that stuff. Lots of spam for the for the Dutch. <laughs> Yum. Now, those babies, after they were born, they had like small for gestational age and all these things. You know, didn't think anything of it in the 1940s. Well, in the 1980s, 90s, and 2000s, these children were now adults and they started having horrific medical issues, you know, heart disease, uh, diabetes in, in greater numbers than the average population. They've gone back and looked at all this and it, and it founded the field of epigenetics that women that were starved during pregnancy. So that is kind of what led to all this. And so, yeah, Angie's heard the spiel a million times. But, but yeah, but they weren't changing the genetic code, Chris. They were changing. No, they were expressions. Expression. That's what I meant. G- gene expression. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, expression of certain genes. So the G, yeah, the genes so, stay the same. Yeah, with yeah, turtles. The, so their A, yeah. T, Cs, and Gs, that yeah. stays the same. Your genes are the same. Yeah. It's just whether or not the genes are expressed or are not expressed. 
And there's definitely right, a lot right. of environmental cues like nutrition, such as in the Dutch famine, yeah. or environmental toxins. Yeah. I looked at a lot in my um, – I didn't look yeah. at them, but I learned a lot about them yeah. in my uh, graduate studies. And so these can yeah. basically increase – and it, it's probably one of the ways that does help us evolve uh, quickly, right? And right. so – this K, KDM six B gene and and the epigenetics that make this gene either be expressed or not expressed. Right. So really, really cool stuff. Science is awesome. Yeah, and it is, nature's and awesome. Biology's my God, awesome. if you are still like, listening to us, if if we like start after our epigenetics yeah. spiel, <laughs> um, yeah. yes, hopefully, I guess you're in it to win it, right? Uh, like us. Yeah. No, it, it's. It is. It's, and it's all, you know, again, it's taking multiple disciplines to come together to understand biology, you know, so the physiology, the biology, the husbandry and the people in the field, the sure. ecology, Absolutely. the environment. It, it's all of these fields. So in, in endangered species research and looking at, you know, protecting the health of the environment, it's taking all of these specialties. So we need the geneticists. We need the physiologists. We need the ecologists. You know, we even need the, the conservationists. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The conservationists most of all. Yeah. So yeah, that's fascinating, Angie. And, and, you know, we, we try not to dork out too much for the listeners because. Well, no, and I wasn't like, even dorking out. I just want to be like, hi, no. I'm, I'm right. I knew there had to be a gene. Yeah, you were right. You were right. <laughs> but I was kind right. of wrong because it's not really, yeah. it's a gene and epigenetics. So it's kind of the combination. <laughs> no, it's still awesome though. And no, that just came out this week. Uh, but it, yeah, it was full circle. I'm like, oh man, if only this article would have come out the other day. Uh, okay. So switching gears a little bit and this is. Uh, an article I read in Yale Environment 360. So again, I'm going to put uh, on our on our webpage. There's going to be two tabs. There's the All Creatures tab, which is our interviews and our our creatures, and there'll be a tab on just con- that's, yeah, our, that's baby. our baby. I told Chris, I'm like, don't mess no, with no, my no, baby. No, that's our baby. <laughs> and then this will be uh, the second tab at the top of the website that you can click on, and I'll put the show notes and links to these articles if you're interested. But this one, I just want to read the title. And just produ- it just came out uh, yesterday. Well, yesterday for me, today for you, because it's May 18th here. It's still May 17th there for you. Oh, so it's Endangered Species Day for oh, you. Oh, is that today? Or is that? Yeah, it is today. Well, it's the 18th. Oh, it's not for me. Oh, it is. Because it's the 17th yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm in the future. Um, yeah. Oh, great. Uh, happy Endangered Species Day. <laughs> it yeah. is. This is. I think this is a great yeah, way to celebrate, like putting news yeah, out there. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. So the title of this is Conservation Conundrum is Focusing on a Single Species a Good Strategy. And what this article is talking about, and I, and I found it pretty fascinating, is there some researchers are questioning, and I'm just reading the, the blurb on it. Some researchers are questioning the fundamental conservation concept that creating and managing protected areas for a single, quote unquote, umbrella species. The big dog. Yeah. Yeah benefits other non-charismatic species sharing the same habitat. And so this is by Richard Conniff, and it it's really interesting article. Basically, it's a dissertation coming out of the University of Wyoming, but it's asking the question, is this the right strategy? Because you and I have talked about it. You use the Okapi as an example, right? Oh, yeah. In that World Heritage Site in the Congo, you have this protected area to protect the Okapi, but it also protects chimpanzees, uh, frogs, uh, insects, uh, fruit bats is one we highlight. Uh, leopards that are there. 
that area is protected, so it protects all those other species. So that's the idea of an umbrella species. You throw all this money and, and effort into protecting one, it's going to benefit many. Yeah, it's always been kind of a side selling point of mm-hmm. of looking at yeah the umbrella species and well and then I think too if you take them out they're so involved in in the food web too that the right. the trickle down could be pretty catastrophic. Catastrophic. Yeah, a trickle up too. I mean, yeah, yeah, the, trickle up, the leopard. Sure. You know, yeah. I mean, for all the different animals. So you know, it's it's an interesting article. It goes back and forth. You know, in this, they're looking at sage grouse in Wyoming, and they're basically what they they argue is by protecting this sage grouse, you've you've cordoned off areas for that species, but it doesn't really benefit some of the other species that come in and out of that area. And so they're saying, yeah, that's great, you're protecting the sage grouse, but it's not protecting all these other animals because. They go outside that area and they die or they get, you know, hit by a car or something like that. Yeah, I think they bring up a really good point. And I mean, if it's a dissertation now, the University of Wyoming, I, I presume it's going to be pretty solid science. And that's what we always talk about is it's one thing just mm-hmm. to think something. Oh, this, this will cause that, but it's another to actually mm-hmm. investigate it and find evidence supporting your hypothesis. And so. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, Absolutely. I'm sure these researchers are careful to say this maybe doesn't include every umbrella species because probably some might mm-hmm. really, um, might really protect a lot of the trickle down ones, but it, it really is interesting mm-hmm. that you could over an umbrella species, you yeah. could overestimate all the other species you are potentially protecting and maybe leave, leave some out. Right. And I think the knee jerk reaction is a conservation uh, enthusiast is, is how I would describe myself. And I'd be like, Oh, you know, anything negative on conservation, don't, don't, you know, I think don't publish it. Don't read this, but that's not the point. <laughs> right. I mean, that's what, right. That's yeah, how, no. well, that's, the, that's called bias, Chris. Yeah. Or the yes. knee jerk reaction. A lot of people have knee jerk reactions. Oh, I, and, we all do. Yeah. yeah we all, so, we all, our heart, we always, you always yeah. think with your heart first and then yes. your brain sometimes follows, sometimes it doesn't. Right. And so you really have to, you really have to think about it and, and do your research and look at it. And they bring up a lot of good points. I think for the Okapi, right? Just a quick example. Okapi, that's a huge area. So I think that, is benefiting a lot. It's, mm-hmm. yeah. And this, uh, Tim Cairo, he's at the University of California, Davis. He's a conservation biologist and he states an effective conservation shortcut of umbrella species, perhaps because most reserves were initially large and could encompass substantial populations. A lot of, of them. Species. Mm-hmm. Right. It's when you, I think in this study, they go and you're you're doing really isolated areas of sage grouse. That's not exactly going to have maybe an effect on the black-footed ferret, you know, or the bison. You know, there's no way right. that a, a sage grouse habitat is going to cover a bison. So, so they bring up a lot of good points. And again, in science, we need to debate this stuff. We need to talk about absolutely. It. Yeah. I mean, the end goal is all the same: is to protect as many species as possible, probably with the least amount of money and the least amount of space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seems to be yeah. like what the goal yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, how do we best do that? How much area do these animals need? Um, mm-hmm. What species are important in the niche? So, yeah. and, the, and the best way to do that is through science. And yeah. I applaud these guys for putting this oh, out there, even if they do get a little bit of critiques because it's not really what we want to hear. Uh, but in the same instance, it's looking, I think, at taking a closer look at the individual species too, because I would also... Yeah 
counter, I wouldn't argue, but yeah. I would suggest too, like, yeah, looking at a bird umbrella species is totally mm. different than a hoofstock or, right, um, right. you know, a primate. And so right. more work but, needs to be done. Now, is there yeah. money for that research? Probably I not. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But it is, it's, no, it's great. And I, and we need to learn and we need to evolve and we need to, to get better at a lot of this stuff. So yeah, yeah. it's a great, it's a great, uh, I just thought it was a fascinating article and, you know, just something that you and I've talked about the last few months is just the use of umbrella species. Now, Chris, speaking of umbrella species, especially large hoofstock species, my favorite with horns, also my favorite. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Exciting news out of Chad is that six rhinos from South Africa are going to be mm-hmm. translocated to Chad, which is a country in central, north central Africa. Right. And right. this is very exciting because uh, they've been extinct in Chad and North Central uh, mm-hmm. Africa for over 50 years. They were hunted to extinction, black rhinos. And now right. they're going to roam in the wild again. And just really exciting for the country of Chad and for all their uh, – no, for, for the park like- and, the, and the locals and the government mm-hmm. officials – that's awesome. Yeah. And I don't know uh, if we have any new listeners out there. If you have not checked out our translocating rhinos interview with uh, Miss oh. Allison Kennedy Benson, please do that because you'll learn. She's amazing. She, she did this for a job for a while as a uh, translocating yeah. rhinos from uh, one country in Africa to the next. Uh, and, and just briefly uh, for the listeners, South Africa has like, the large majority of both black and white rhinos. I think they have around mm. 18,000 white rhinos and about 2,000 mm. black rhinos. And that's, which is still not a lot. Which is ugh, not a lot at all, but that's I about know, 80, that's about 80% of the global population of these guys. I know. And yeah. so it's not the best idea, especially with all these poaching problems that are happening in South Africa to keep them all in South Africa and, and, and mm-hmm. the areas where the, the national parks that they're living in, they, they do get crowded and there's competition. So yeah, I would say overcrowding and disease, mm-hmm, if a disease mm-hmm. came in and wiped them out. So you really, yeah. yeah. And so the goal is to, uh, to, to translocate them to different countries where they, they might be safer. And so the park where these rhinos are being uh, relocated in Chad, they've experienced dramatic de- decreases in poaching since 2010. And their local mm. elephant population in this park in Chad is increasing for the mm. first time in more than a decade. And oh, they feel really excited about it because they have a lot of locals on board and they're doing a lot of education and they're hopefully that this, they're hopeful that this will serve as a catalyst for economic growth in tourism fields. And yeah, yeah they moved, um, two, uh, four cows and two bulls. So okay. yeah, okay. I just, it, no, that's, that's, yeah. I just listen to Allison talk about the whole process of that is just amazing. So, you know, that's still ongoing. I I would say like, why is this park in Chad so successful? And we need to implement those strategies. Sure. I think globally, right. I think a lot yeah. of it is that, you know, they, they probably have a lot of, um, uh, a lot of locals involved and, and really understanding probably the economic impact it can have. And, and mm-hmm. I just think that, and historically, even for the own country's kind of pride and heritage, because the black rhino used to be found in 28 African countries, but it's now mm-hmm. only in South mm-hmm. Africa, mm-hmm. Nima- um, Namibia, yeah. Zimbabwe, Tanzania, and Kenya. While yeah. of 
couple countries like Zambia, where I know Allison used to work, where we saw her. And Botswana mm-hmm. and Malawi are starting these small populations to see if they can uh, build up. Get them established. Uh, yeah, yeah, re- yeah establish yeah. historic herds again. So, yeah, yeah. but it's just uh, – I and I think it's a great – way too that the uh that the the countries are coming together in Africa to kind of take an initiative on this global crisis and saying right. hey you know how can we what's the best way to uh save these guys um mm-hmm. from poaching and from diseases and all these types of things so for me it's really really hopeful and of course i know from Allison and seeing her work on some of these projects these you know they are monitored pretty closely they're usually done it's usually done like safely with a soft release They'll supplement, oh, yeah. feed them. They basically have to yeah. train them how, or not train them, but teach them how to uh, to find food because the food's going to mm-hmm. be a lot different in South Africa versus Central North Central. Job, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, I'll be really, I'll I'll be following this story out for a while because it's very exciting. Yeah, no, that's awesome, and it just reminds me of what you were doing last week. I don't know if you're able to talk about it or not, but you were had your arm up uh, some rhinos last week, right? I just want rhino, but yes, I was uh, helping a conservation park and that is, uh, wanting to, uh, breed their female white rhino mm-hmm. and they needed some of my expertise for ultrasounding. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it was, it was really a wonderful experience and hopefully being able to help this species, right, uh, re- right. you know, re- help it repopulate itself. Cause sometimes when they're under, they're under human care. They can have reproductive problems. And this happens to be an aged am- animal as well. So trying to figure out what's going on with her and her cycle her, is right, pretty, right. is key in order to get her, um, in order to get her bred. So. Hey, yeah. that was a proud moment for me to see that because. I bet. I well, you, I, well, <laughs> well, cause you know, seven or eight years ago, you were the one yeah. that taught me for hours and hours and hours yeah. on how to, how to ultrasound a horse. And so yeah, yeah. all that, all that blood, sweat and tears finally paid off. It was Yay! like, yeah, it was like full circle. <laughs> we made a difference in the world. Yay. Well, we'll see. Uh, Hopefully. Yes. Almost, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> all she can do is try, right? All she can do yeah, is try. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue because I, this week there's been a, a, a lot of memes out there talking about zoos and aquariums, conservation centers about how they, how important they are. And there's actually a really good book. That just came out this week. It's called The Ark and Beyond, oh, yeah. The Evolution of Zoos and Aquarium Conservation. Mm-hmm. And I really want to get this book. It was uh, uh, Chicago Press or something like that. I will I will definitely get this as soon as I can and read it and then report back to the listeners on it if, they, if they're interested in it. But it's just the evolution of zoos and aquariums. And it just, you know, you and I, the last few months have really talked about this quite a bit. I have given a lot of thought, a, a lot of brain power to how zoos and aquariums have evolved. And, you know, it's, it's not what it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30, you know, 100 years ago, zoos were horrific if you look back at it. You know, we look back at zoos, what they were, like the animals in cages, things like that. It was not okay. It was not okay. But zoos aren't that today. Accredited zoos are not that today. You should never go and, and, go to a place where they have animals kept under under really poor care. So, you know, the, the memes that are going around, and, and I'm just going to put this out there. These are the species that they've saved. We've covered quite a bit of them. There is the Przewalski horse, California condor, panda, black-footed ferret, animals that we've talked about or will talk about, Arabian oryx, the uh, Carabinese frog, the bongo, the regent honeyeater bird, 
The Panamanian golden frog, which is a really poison dart frog. Amazing story on that one. Amazing, amazing how they've, they've come in and rescued them because they were, they were done. The, uh, there's river turtles, golden line tamarind. Yeah, that's how, that's what I started my career on. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Re- we covered red wolves. American kestrel, big important peregrine fund. Catball langer is supported by the the Catball Langer project in Catball Island is supported by the Leipzig Zoo. Mm-hmm. The Amir leopard. You know, just a list of species. You can go on and on that they are fighting day in day out to do these things. You know, you're at a conservation center. Yeah, rhinos. Yeah, I mean the Guam rail is a bird that's extinct in the wild yeah. that is being propagated. Yeah. At, at, uh, accredited zoos and even being mm-hmm, le- mm-hmm. released on a different island that doesn't have the invasive species that hunt, hunted it to extinction. So yeah, right. I mean, really just, just incredible work and let alone the amount of money that they have donated to conservation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's in right. the tens of millions of dollars annually. Probably yeah. no, and the researchers, yeah. No, I think it's higher than I think. Yeah, it's hundreds. It's yeah, hundreds I think of it's two hundred. Yeah, it's like one hundred fifty million. I was gonna say two hundred sixteen. That now. number pops out. I've got to yeah. get my numbers straight. Um, too busy trying to fib to people how old I am. <laughs> so yeah. I get I get my numbers mixed up. Uh, you still look like young twenties. Oh, you're good. thanks. You're, you're too kind. Um, you and you and my wife. My wife looks. Oh, like she she's looks 10. like she's twelve. Seriously, <laughs> I, know. I don't know how she she's, does it. I need some. I need she's some. She's got good genes. She does. Genes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good genes. But yeah, it's. I mean, but yeah, two. Let's just two hundred million minimally annually. Yeah. Uh, or I think this was two thousand sixteen that. They have yeah. donated to conservation organizations and saving species in the wild. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I, nobody else can really say that. And so my challenge to the listeners out there is share some of this information with people that are n- perhaps naysayers. Right. That would be, cause I, 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 I pick and choose my battles accordingly, but as a scientist and a passionate mm-hmm. zoo conservationist type person, I, I've, I've actually, I've started sharing some of these thoughts in these numbers, right? I'm a, I'm a scientist, mm-hmm. so I, I'm more mm-hmm. of a person of numbers right. and actual results. I try, I try to use my brain over my heart, which is often hard to do, but mm-hmm. yeah, no, no, sh- share this, this information Chris puts up with somebody who may, may be a naysayer and, uh, it's really in the, the, it's the younger generation under 40, I know, are the ones that are like, well, zoos are horrible. These animals should be in the wild. And you're like, yeah, that's ideal. Um, but you talked about South Africa and the rhinos. There is no wild. There is no, there is no, no. wild in South Africa. Mm-hmm. No, there isn't. It's all, they're all game right. parks that are managed. So then the, that are for tourists. Right. And so then people like say, that. well, yeah. put them in a sanctuary. And I think the misnomer with a sanctuary is, is that a lot of times the diseases and the medical treatment and the things mm. that they get when they're, in accredited zoos and aquariums are severely lacking in sanctuaries because sanctuaries are always, you yeah. know, they're not well-funded either. And they're also not mm. um, financially necessarily s- stable where well, part of the accreditation process in zoos and aquariums is looking at finances and being like, okay, this place can operate for the next 15 or 20 years or 30, you know, and they're being right, checked right. every five years where a sanctuaries mm. don't necessarily have that option and they don't have the right tools. And that is, that's phenomenal point. And, 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 and there's I plenty of sanctuaries t- out there that are doing great things. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want to, but those places are, a yeah. lot of those places are full and they're, they're at capacity. 
and and they do yeah. have vets on staff and they do wonder I'm not saying all sanctuaries but it's it's just not as easy as like oh take them from a zoo and put them in a sanctuary that's not always first yeah. of all there's probably not any availability and second of all if there yeah. is like there's potentially things that are lacking in sanctuaries that are not lacking in um let alone the research and the dietitians yeah um, i mean the, the the scientists the research scientists like you said the dietitians the vet staff the keeper staff all of those things exist at these accredited zoos and and, and zoos do education they do outreach yeah. a lot yeah. of things that some of these you know smaller can't. yeah or one or two man shows and yeah. uh yeah you know i guess i was talking with my no, husband the other point. night yeah i my my husband and i were talking it's like you know I wish every animal I could be in the wild and that's the mm. only place we could see it. I, for that sake, if that was possible, I would even be as bold to say like, I wish there weren't zoos. Um, mm. but that is just so, that's so naive and unrealistic. It's, you're not doing, you're not doing the animals any favors by even really going down that road at, at no, this rate in the no. game. And I, and I've been, no, I've been no, to Africa no. and I've been to Central America. I've been in the Amazon Mm-hmm. Um, and there's still a lot of wild places left. Don't get me wrong. And we need to protect them, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. especially you can't take an animal that's been living under human care for X amount of years and throw them in the wild. That's just, goofy. no, <laughs> yeah, and it's cruel. It's cruel. It's cruel. Yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll keep this story going, but you know, I, my final message is, is if you do have concerns, anything that animal husbandry ask, ask, Absolutely. The keeper, ask the staff that they would love to talk to you about why they do things. Please don't. I have a great interview with Jim Winepress next week at the Seneca Park Zoo. He talks a lot about this stuff. Please, please, they want to talk to you. You know, ask us. Ask me and Angie. You know, we'll find the answers for you. So, anyways, I just thought it was great to see that this week. You know, a lot of the species they've saved and are and are working hard to save. Yes, definitely. Well, and hopefully, that's the other thing too. I think I'm I'm hopeful that uh, the zoos and aquariums will keep trying to share all these good stories and they, you know, they historically haven't been very good at promoting themselves because they've been Mm -hmm. focusing on taking care of animals. And I think, but I think they're obviously starting to realize that they are under attack. And so they're starting to be like, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, wait, now we do all this other great stuff. So hopefully, hopefully we'll be seeing and hearing more about it. Now there's like more webcams and you Mm -hmm. know, all the animal cams and things like that too. And if their websites are brilliant and very transparent, Mm -hmm. Um, when Mm -hmm. animals pass away, they tell you why and explain it. But kind of like I think the format of this weekly roundup is where Andy and I can also just express some of our opinions because, you know, we're very scientific when we're doing our interviews and we're very scientific. We try to be when we're doing our facts with the animals. But, you know, we do go on harangues with plastics and things that are important. But, you know, this is th- I totally agree with you 100 percent. 100%. But getting back to science, Chris, yes. and conservation. Okay. okay. So a really cool story is that um, – so researchers are hopeful that they could potentially protect elephants from poachers mm-hmm. by listening to them with earthquake monitoring tools. Oh, Ooh, my babies. Yeah. yeah okay. So I know. This one's for you, Chris. So yeah. a study recently published in the journal Current Biology. Mm-hmm. Um, with researchers out of uh, the University of Oxford and uh, and Bristol, are basically investigating using the vibrations that elephants create um, mm-hmm. during their feet and through vocalizations as a potential tool to protect them from the poachers. And so what they do is they're conducting a study 
and they're using devices. They're called geophones. Um, mm, cool. and they're putting them near wild yeah. elephants in Kenya. And they're kind of, and so they're like seismographs. Geophones can convert the vibrations that the elephants make into measurable electronic signals mm-hmm. out in the field. And mm. so the researchers are hypothesizing that with using these geophones, that they can triangulate where different seism- seismic forces are coming from mm. or AKA where the elephant is. Oh, wow. And so because a lot of these elephants are in big parks and it has been recently, well, not recently, but uh, in the past five, five to 10 years or so, it's been determined that elephants can communicate through different vibrations. Yeah. The low frequencies. They think it's either coming through perhaps their feet or maybe their inner mm-hmm. ear. So they're not totally mm-hmm. sure about that, but they know that they make it and they know that they, they travel through the ground um, a lot, uh, uh, a lot further than their trumpeting sounds in the air. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And so, yeah, yeah no, it's interesting. Jesse, uh, my interview with Jesse, he talks about the Okapi and the babies and mamas and they use low frequency that we can't hear. Oh, cool. Vibrations. And so the low frequency can go through the ground or through some of the environment where a high frequency bounces back. So okay. we kind of talk about that in the interview. But yeah, so elephants do use that to communicate. They, they, they have low frequency bellows and stuff that. Well, the researchers use computer models to show that the vibrations um, they recorded could be distinguished from four miles away under optimal conditions. Whereas like a, a trumpeting yeah. vibration, one that's going through the air is maybe only two, two miles. So yeah, it's, it's not hundreds. It's, it's a few more kilometers. Yeah. But, yeah. Know, it goes far. It goes pretty far. Yeah. And, and, and researchers too yeah. are still trying to decode whether this is, they think it's probably either to obviously, well, obviously to communicate with other mm-hmm. elephants, but whether it's to communicate about potential threats or breeding, mm-hmm. right. For breeding, like, Hey, where right. are you? Yeah. You know, type, um, yeah, type of messages. And so, but yeah, I just, to me, it's just an amazing way that like, you know, like scientists that are studying like seismology yeah. are probably were like, exactly. yeah, they were like, Hey, we could use this to like help protect elephants from poachers and trying to figure where they are, right. you know, where they're at at nighttime. And so then that way, you know, the whole goals too is in the people that are protecting them could be more in the area without disturbing the animals. So yeah, I just think it's a really, that's cool. A, cool. a really cool uh, potential. And, um, and I just think it's interesting how, how, like you said, different disciplines come together. Right. right. So just to kind of wrap up this week, it's, you know, a, a new format. We're, we're, we're going to kind of see how it goes and let us know any stories that you'd be interested in, in hearing from. Angie and I will will kind of do that. We just kind of want to highlight some of the bigger things we saw this week. Uh, we'll try this again next week and throw it out there and, and see what you think. Um, as promised, the new species I found this week is a new bat in Africa. In Mozambique, okay, is the Gorgon Goza horseshoe bat. And this Ooh. thing has – yeah, they just discovered it this week. It has this incredible – face that looks like a horseshoe and i think it helps you know they use obviously echolocation to find their food and stuff like that so that was just announced this week that was one i found i was like wow because wow, i'm really falling they... in love with bats i know oh, bats are yeah we have yeah. to know that i was actually i'm gonna try to get another interview with a bat specialist here at Luby yes. in florida um but yeah what how did they miss a bat like how did how are they just exactly. not finding it 
Exactly, because these things, it, not only, you know, I guess forest degradation, but it's people out there looking for them, right? And sure. never discovering new things. So will we find some megafauna the size of, you know, a cow or a horse? Probably not. I think we've classified most of them. Are we finding small mammals? Yes. You know, you see it in the news all the time, especially in some of these remote islands, like in the South Pacific near me. They, they just found like a new, it's not the Barbarossa, but it's like one of those pigs. Mm-hmm. You know, that was just discovered like a couple months ago. Uh, so there are probably some mammals like that still running around. Uh, maybe something in the ocean we haven't quite found yet. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, as far as big, but all these small ones, God, I mean, how many insects have been discovered this week? I don't know. What'd you find? Well, sure. And, uh, there's a couple species I want to highlight, but, uh, mm-hmm. since we'll be hopefully doing this again soon, um, I will go for the species of the week that caught my eye, which is an insect, a water beetle. Um, but mm-hmm. that's not what caught my eye. <laughs> what caught my na- yeah. what caught, what caught my eye and turned my fancy a little bit was that citizen scientists that found this water beetle, they discovered it mm-hmm. in pristine, um, Malawi or Malawi basin in Malay oh, wow. in Borneo. They wanted uh-huh. to name it after my buddy, Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, uh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. He's not my buddy yet, but I figure if you put yeah. something out there in the universe, yeah, like it might yeah. come, it might come true. He's my, he's my, come back. He's my, yeah. He's my conservation crush, which my husband yeah. fully endorses. And, yeah, yeah. but yes, yeah, so they are, you know, a lot of times people will name new species after like who discovered it or sometimes mm-hmm. Hollywood people or whatever. Um, because maybe they look like a certain person or something, but this one Mm -hmm. was fully named, um, it's Grovelinus Leonardo (laughs) DiCaprio. (laughs) Oh, good job. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Yeah. So yeah, this was solely based on the fact that he is a rock star conservationist Mm -hmm. and his, um, foundation, the Leonardo DiCaprio foundation, and its efforts towards biodiversity preservation. And if you haven't gone to their yeah, website, awesome. check them out. They yeah. do radical stuff. He deserves, in my opinion, definitely to have a water beetle named after him. Yeah, if yeah, not yeah. even my yeah. child. <laughs> Just yeah, kidding. I know. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, that does it for this week's roundup. We will uh, be back on Tuesday with a new species. We have a great interview with uh, Jim Winepress next Thursday. Uh, talking naked mole rats and other things. And then... We'll be back next Friday with this and see how it goes. So take care and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.